Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Uh, My name is Alan. I'm the student's pastor here at Reach Community Church. Uh, And today we... Let me get in the middle. Perfect middle. There we go. Uh, Today we're going to continue on our journey through the book of James. Last week, uh, Pastor Heath spoke on James 2, verses 1 through 13. He shared with us how to have faith over favoritism. And he reminded us through James that judging people by what we see is not the way of a follower of Christ. Today we're going to touch on a subject that at first it may seem not so profound and is very direct. And quite honestly, the whole book or letter might be a very direct one. James is a a book meant to remind us to practice what what we preach. The passages we are going to look at today come from from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And if you're familiar with the book of James, you know this is about to get real. You know, when I first came into the faith, uh, James was actually the book I sort of liked the most. Because to me, and especially at that time... He was the easiest to understand. James is is very direct. That man did not bite his tongue when he wanted to to say something. You know, you're you're reading along in James, and then he just simply says, Hey, if you don't do this, you suck. You know? (laughs) I don't know if I can say that word here, but I have cursed here before, so that's, uh, I'm doing better. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it, was a, it was a bad day. It was a bad Sunday for me up here. Um, so in James, we can find concepts that seem to be straight to the point and don't need much comprehension in order for us to, to grasp what he wants to convey, which in some instances, it may be true, but many times uh, in the Bible, many of these Concepts that seem black and white end up requiring a a careful discernment and overview so that we can understand them in the way they were meant to be understood and the way they are supposed to be carried out in our in our lives. I mean, haven't you haven't you sometimes come up to a point in your Christian walk when you're exploring more into a theological subject and and you realize there is so much more to what it was just said. I mean, there's, there's countless times when, when I come up to a point and, you know, I say, man, I didn't even know that was a thing. So with this in mind, we're going to talk about the concept uh, or truth that James laid out for us in chapter 2, verses 14 through, through 26. We're going to touch on the concept or truth that faith without works is dead faith and how James And first, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to see about the seemingly contradiction uh, that that James talks about with with other parts in in the Bible. So let's read 
James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it does not have, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and he was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So that seems like a very straightforward truth, doesn't it? And in its own right, it is. The concept is straightforward. The truth is very simple. But as we continue to read James and we read other verses in the Bible, like in Romans 3.28, and we'll dive deeper into this one, where it says, For we hold that one is justified apart from works of the law. It seems to contradict the justification by works, the made right in God's sight, that James talked about. And as we read more of the Bible, we find that these verses are much more profound than what we, we just read. So let's move into the concept of truth and truth uh, of faith without works is that faith. And like I uh, uh, shared with you before, we'll look at that. That we'll look at how that can seem to be a contradiction uh, to other places in the Bible first. So looking at the passages in James 2 verses 14 through 26, we can notice three different occasions where James actually gives us the thesis of what he wants to convey. We first see in verse 17 where it says, So also faith by itself, if it, if it does not have works, is dead. Then verse 20, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that, uh, you, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And lastly in verse 26, For as the body apart from the from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Three times in this passage, James refers to a faith without works being a dead faith. And so now this introduces to us a very important concept or subject, uh, the matter of dead faith. A faith that bears no fruits or products. A faith that gives off no evidence or any works. And it is a subject that I think we might tend to struggle sometimes because we are saved not by works but by faith alone. But faith without works is that faith. So without faith we are not saved, right? I mean, as Christians, I think sometimes we hear the words works and sometimes we sort of clam up. And I think it's pretty important to see that what James is talking about here or, or who James is talking to are the ones who make a profession of faith but have nothing to show for. 
So let's see. Dead faith is pretty much a type or form of non-saving belief. It is a belief that does not save. It is a belief that brings up a person just short of becoming truly regenerated. And the distinguishing mark of this is the absence of something. And the absence of that something is the absence of righteous works. And by way of contrast, there is also a kind of non-saving works type of faith. A faith that works in a very legalistic type of way. This type of, this type of legalistic non-saving faith uh, is the person who does a lot of works. It's a person who does a lot of things that appear to be good works. But here in James, we're not talking about a faith that doesn't. But here in James, we're not talking about a, a faith that does works in the flesh. But what we are talking about is a faith that doesn't have any works. Here is the absence of any righteous works. So the person who James is referring to here is a person claiming to be a Christian with absolutely no evidence. You know, there are people who claim to be Christians and there's sort of enough, there's enough sort of religious activity going on to make, us, to make us think that's evidence. But there are also people who claim to be Christians and we look at their lives and we see nothing to give us any evidence that they're truly regenerated. And just as a, as a side note, I, uh, I find it fascinating that the book of James, by most accounts, is considered to have been one of the first New Testaments to, to have been written. The earliest one maybe being Galatians. So this would put James at around a time where the 12 tribes of Israel were scattered, as we see in James 1.1, which was a time when the early Jerusalem church was more than likely being persecuted. And can you imagine fleeing your hometown and being sought after because of your faith and having to hide from probable death. And here you are hearing instructions from James, nevertheless encouraging, but hearing his instructions that are incredibly challenging. And, and that's tough. And certainly seeing that type of, of resilience and that challenge met by the early church is uh, it's very inspiring. So how do we reconcile this, this truth of faith and works? How do we harmonize the truth so that in our lives we may understand it better? And by understanding it better, we can be the stewards and vessels God would want us to be, knowing his truth. Let me point you to another verse in the Bible that seems to make it a little more difficult to harmonize what James is talking about in verses 14 through 26. And the verses is the one I mentioned earlier found in Romans 3.28, which says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Which, if we go to James 2.24, we find that he seemingly says something opposite to what Paul is talking about. Uh, James says in 2.24, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So looking at this, two verses, we can uh, be sort of confused by what is being said. Who is right? So in Romans 3.28, Paul clearly draws a sharp line of distinction between faith and works. 
since all fallen sinners, Jews and Gentiles alike, fail to do what the law requires, no one can claim to find favor and acceptance with God upon the basis of works. Even if those works are as righteous as they come. Shortly after this, Paul observes that the believer's forgiveness and acceptance by God depends upon faith alone and not upon the righteousness of works, in order that it may rest on grace. Romans 4:16. If works were to play a role in our justification, in our made right stands before God, then our acceptance by God will no, will no, no longer be a gracious gift but it would be like a payment to an employer. The contrasts that exist between faith and works can be explored more, more within the context of the great religious question, how can guilty sinners be received into favor with God? Since all of us have, have failed to do what the holy law of God requires, we are all by nature justly subject to condemnation and death. None is righteous, no, not one, Paul says in Romans 3.10. And justification answers that question. We are, we are made right. We are saved by grace alone through, through faith alone. And for this reason, Paul observes that no one can be declared righteous in God's sight on the basis of our works. Romans 3.19.20 says, Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In these verses, uh, Paul paints a remarkable portrait of all sinners in the presence of God's judgment seat. In the whole world, no one can be found who by the standard of perfect obedience that the law requires is able to offer a case upon the basis of their works that would exonerate them from from God's condemnation. Left to to ourselves, all of us would have to acquiesce to to God's sentence on our lives. And, And none of us can speak a word in our defense that would establish our innocence. And yet, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God does justify. He declares us righteous to those who embrace the gospel promised through faith alone. Out of sheer grace, God the Father grants, imputes, or attributes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Through faith, we are united to Christ and become partakers of Christ's righteousness which consists in his perfect obedience to all that the law of God requires and Jesus serving in our place, he endured the law's penalty in the atonement. He successfully reconciled us to to God the Father. So when it comes to us being made right in God's sight, faith is the exclusive instrument that finds in Christ and in his saving work a full and complete satisfaction of all the requirements of the law. Faith is not a human achievement, but the end of all boasting. Ephesians 2, chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, 
not a result of works, so that no one may boast. John Calvin describes faith like this. An empty, open hand stretched out towards God with nothing to offer and everything to receive. When faith sings, it always sings of Christ alone. There's a phenomenal hymn that that says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. So while we know it's true that faith alone justifies, this does not mean that faith is ever alone in the person made right by God. Through faith, though faith may be the alone instrument of justification, it is not alone in the person being justified. But it is, it, it is partnered up with all other saving graces. It is, it is not a dead faith, but it is a faith that is worked by love. So while the grace of free justification, the grace of being made right in God's sight, is received by the empty hand of faith alone, we can't expect it to stop there. Justification is the first step that preludes the next stage in a Christian's life, which is called sanctification. The process of of becoming more like Christ. And then ultimately, we reach glorification. But becoming righteous in the sight of God is never severed from becoming more like Christ. Christ is not given to us for righteousness without also giving to us for sanctification. Whenever Christ indwells in our hearts, he always begins to renew us in a way of obedience to his law. In the fullness of his office as mediator, Christ is not only a priest whose atoning sacrifice and continual intercession assures us of our acceptance with God, But Christ is also king who rules in the hearts of his people by his spirit and by his word. So the apparent difficulty between harmonizing faith and works and the apparent contradiction between the teachings of James and Paul lies in the different meanings and language that they use. When James contrasts faith and works, he is contrasting An empty show of faith, the kind of faith that produces no fruit, with a living faith that necessarily and without fail produces works of obedience. Not not, not at all times perfect and at all times, but but there is surely evidence of it. When Paul contrasts faith and works, he is contrasting faith that rests in Christ alone for the assurance and acceptance of God, with the unbelieving boast of those who would seek to obtain favor with God by their works. But Paul, as much as James, also affirms that the faith that alone justifies always is a faith that, that works by love. And we can find that in Galatians 5.6. So when James speaks of a justification by works, he is not speaking to the issue of our right standing before God and acceptance by God, which is the focus of of Paul's teaching. When James speaks of justification, he is speaking of the way in which we as believers demonstrate or prove our profession of faith is not a matter of of the tongue, but is confirmed by, by works that faith produces. 
I found this, this quote by the Puritan Thomas Manton, which says, By the righteousness of faith we are acquitted from sin, and by the righteousness of works we are acquitted from hypocrisy. Martin Luther said this about faith. Oh, when it comes to faith, what a living, creative, active, powerful thing it is. It cannot do anything other than good at all times. It never waits to ask whether there is some good work to be done. We are justified by God through faith alone. But when it comes to our sanctification, the Holy Spirit is working in us a new way of obedience. And the faith and works it produces are inseparable. We can know our, our works flow from a true faith if we, if we perform them not to earn our salvation, but in gratitude for our redemption accomplished by Christ. We can recognize our faith if, our, if out of our hearts love overflows. And one crucial verse to bring all this into harmony comes from Galatians 5, 6, where it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Nothing that we do makes any difference in our saving grace. What is external is immaterial and worthless unless it reflects a genuine internal righteousness. Faith bears the fruits or works of, of love. The glory of Christ in the gospel is not merely that we are justified when we depend entirely on him, but also that depending entirely on Christ is the power that makes us new loving people, the power that changes us. Depending entirely on Christ is how we are justified and how we are sanctified. So, Paul struck one note and James struck the other. Both are true and together they bring Christ the glory due to his name and our saving faith prove its genuine character by works of love. The person who lives by faith is internally motivated by love for, for God in Christ which supernaturally provides a loving worship for God and genuine obedience to his word and self-sacrificing love for, for others. <clears throat> So what is, what is, our, what is our, our outward response to all of this after talking about sanctification and justification, sanctification, justification, sanctification? Uh, what do we do with what we find in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26? You know what the Bible tells, tells Christians to do? Examine yourself. Test yourselves in light of Scripture to see if you are in the faith. Because without Christ in our lives, do you know what we deserve? The wrath of God. People say, some people say that the cross is a sign of how much humankind is worth. But in reality, the cross is a sign of how depraved we are. What James is screaming at us in these short verses is that Christianity is not like a vaccine we get one time and that's it. Going back for, for boosters once in a while. James 
is telling us that true saving faith is absolutely followed by a lifestyle of obedience with ups and downs, of course. Asking ourselves the question, why, can be very telling about our intentions and genuinity. Why am I, am I doing this? What is the motive behind this? Am I doing it so that I can gain recognition, acceptance, or approval from others? Am I doing it because I have to or because I want to? Am I doing it to earn grace or am I doing it in response to that loving grace shown to me? Am I being genuine? Because what does Matthew 7, uh, verses 15, 20 tells us? You will know them by their fruits. And you know what is the, what is the scariest thing anyone in their history can hear? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's Matthew 7, 23. And one of the things you have to decide right now is, I'm either a false prophet, and what I'm telling you is wrong, and I will have to pay for this dearly. And that is why we need to be so careful in teaching the Bible. Or what I'm sharing with you is as if God himself was speaking through me. What we need to know is that salvation is by faith and faith alone in Christ. And faith alone in Jesus Christ is preceded and followed by repentance. And repentance is a turning away from our sins and a hatred for what God hates and a love for the things God loves. And some people may even say, wait a minute, well, God cannot hate because God is love. But the truth is that God must hate because God is love. You see, I love children, therefore I hate abortion. If we love that which is holy, we must hate that which is unholy. In, a live, in living a true regenerated lifestyle, we become a living tree producing the good fruits of works through our sanctification. For a desire to grow in holiness and not to be like the world, not to be like the majority of people around us, not to be like those YouTube stars, not to be like those top ex- executives or business tycoons, or even not to be like the best version of ourselves but to be like Jesus Christ. Because what does the Bible say about our best, brightest works? They are but filthy rags to God. And there will be people and pastors and teachers telling you otherwise. One of the marks of a false prophet is that he's always going to tell you what you want to hear. He's never going to rain on our parade He will get you clapping, he will get you jumping, he will get you going, he will keep you entertained, and he will present a Christianity to you that will make your church look like six flag over Jesus. (laughs) The Bible never teaches that we can be a genuine Christian and have nothing to show for. I'm surely not saying that a Christian is without sin, But what James is yelling at us is this, that if we are a born-again Christian, a child of God, you will walk away in a way of righteousness as a lifestyle. And when, not if, but when we step off that path and and, uh, 
we absolutely will. The Father will come for you. He will discipline you and He will put you back on that path. But if we profess to walk in the narrow gate and yet live in the broad way, just like the majority of people, the Bible teaches us that we should be terribly, terribly afraid. We should not take our profession of faith lightly. Let me share with you an example of how one of my favorite pastors put it like. Some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with this illustration. And he was sharing this to a group, and he's talking in second person, third person, and I also will, so I hope it comes off, uh, comes off well. So he, he asked this audience, do you truly know God? Have you been changed by God? Does your life show evidence of genuinity? He goes on to say, take for instance, I show up late and all the leaders are angry with me and said, hey, don't you appreciate the fact that you've been given an opportunity to speak here and you come late? And I said, brothers, you would have to forgive me. Well, why? Well, I was out there on the highway and I was driving and I had a flat tire and I got out to change the tire. And when I was changing the tire, the lug nut fell off and I wasn't paying attention that I was on the highway. And I ran out and I grabbed the lug nut. And as, as soon as I picked it up in the middle of the highway, I stood up and there was a 30-ton logging truck coming 120 miles uh, per hour, about 10 yards in front of me, and it ran me over, and that's why I'm late. <laughs> he goes on to say in his explanation, the leaders then say, excuse me, but that is absolutely absurd. It is impossible to have had an encounter with something as large as a logging truck and not be changed. He goes on to say to the audience, then my question to you would be, what is larger a logging truck, or God? How is it that so many people today profess to have had an encounter with Jesus Christ and they are not permanently changed? End quote. Uh, if I can invite the, the worship team up, please. So if you are feeling uh, you are bearing no fruit, first know that Romans 8.1 tells us that there is now no, con no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And also rest assured in the hope and promise that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Secondly, actively seek after these things let's get up out of our butts all of us and actively seek after the works or fruits of the spirit but they will always have what galatians 5 22 23 tells us love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control these graces show the beauty of the spirit's work in our lives Yet, we may find ourselves in situations where we feel unloving, impatient, unkind, or lacking in joy and self-control. All of which may occur as soon as we hit traffic today. But we seek after these things. Being careful to discern the difference between keeping in step with the Spirit's work in our lives 
end laboring in our own strength and abilities. When we labor in our strength and abilities, what will flow through us may be feelings of self-righteousness, pride, and entitlement. But when we labor in the Spirit, what may, fl- what may flow through us are feelings of thankfulness and rejoicement, not in our own righteousness, but in the works of the Spirit within us. Don't forget, God loves you and He's never going to let you go. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Lord, thank you for hearing your word. Uh, I pray that uh, uh, it changes all of us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that your uh, um, your leadership uh, uh, overflows through us. I pray that you help us through the things that we have going on right now, Lord, which which we all do. Uh, we are we are all broken to the core, and and we need you. Uh, so I pray, Lord, that you give us patience, that you give us endurance, that you give us perseverance for the moments, times that we may be in. And I pray, Father God, that you help us in. Maybe not that we're smart enough not to wait until you humble us, but to humble ourselves first. We love you, Lord. Thank you for everything. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com.